All right, Matt, you have made your triumphant return to Australia, but I want to have a quick question for you. While you were in uh, Austin visiting the United States, did you go to Starbucks? Is that where you got your coffee in the mornings? I went to Starbucks twice. Uh, so once was, uh, once was, you know, meeting someone for a, a work meeting, you know, they're like, Oh, let's, you know, let's yeah, go let's to Starbucks. Cause a little coffee chat. You know, the, yeah, I spent a, a week at the, uh, uh, JW Marriott and, um, conference coffee is uh, actually worse than Starbucks. So they've got that not going for them. Um, even though it is Starbucks and if you've ever managed a conference, uh, heads up, um, they pay you, you have to pay, you have to pay list prices on coffee, which means like, you know, you see those big urns of like, you know, five gallons of coffee. It's literally like they took five, you know, vintes and dumped the, or triple vinte coffees and dumped them in there. Those are like 50 bucks a pop. Wow. Um, that's what they charge you as the, the conference organizer. Uh, so that kind of sucks because that coffee is usually pretty terrible. And I've been trying to like switch to like a half calf. And so the decaf is also more terrible. <laughs> so let me stop you there because this is where I, I this is what I discovered this week that uh, it has come to my attention. And I am for those that are really you know curious, like I don't drink any coffee. I don't care about coffee. I don't know anything about coffee. But this popped up in the slack. It turns out that Australia does not have very many uh, Starbucks. And it, it, yeah. I guess the story is here is that uh, in 2008, Starbucks closed over 70% of their locations, leaving only mm-hmm. 23 Starbucks in the entire continent. The entire continent yep. of Australia has only 23 <laughs> Starbucks, which it's I feel like Starbucks is only – only McDonald's seems both more American and ubiquitous around the world than Starbucks. Subway. Subway? Subway's like I think they might have the most franchises of anything. But but anyway, back to Starbucks. Okay, so, yeah, so what I learned yeah. here though is that basically I know I, I hate to like uh, you know judge a whole continent, but I'm about to do it. It's like Australians are kind of snobs when it comes to coffee. That seems to be the message that I'm getting is that they that they no, have no, a long no 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 no, 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 no. It's, it's 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 not snobbery. We want everyone to have good coffee. What's wrong with that? So I I guess I never thought of it because I think. <laughs> Most Americans, and I guess this is what I learned, is that like I guess Americans like the what the fancy uh, drinks at Starbucks, which are really like sort of some form of like sugar milkshakes and milkshakes, right? And so I, it sounds like Australia not down with this. They do not well, in their cafes. They do not want this milkshake Starbucks stuff. Is that no, the no, issue? no, 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 no? So, so, so the reason the reason Starbucks you know succeeded in, in America is like coffee was generally terrible across the U.S. Um, and Starbucks showed up and they're like, look, we're going to give you a decent cup of coffee. And, uh, you know, and that, and those of you who aren't here for the, the decent coffee, we've got milkshakes and, uh, you know, they, they ran with that. And it turns out, you know, some of us who don't care for the milkshake side of the, the, the ledger, uh, still are like, this is better coffee than I get, you know, 90% of the other places. Right. And, you know, so the so the U.S. needed to up their coffee game, and Starbucks took advantage. Meanwhile, in Australia and the the seventies and eighties, a lot of Eastern European, South uh, Italian European, and Greek it, immigrants, according to this, yeah, yeah. Uh, to my research, after World <laughs> yes. War II, they brought the real coffee. They brought the real coffee, right? So, so Australia's got you know forty plus years of solid coffee making experience under their belts and i don't think twice about ordering a latte or you know a flat white at a gas station right and meanwhile in the u.s you'd be like i might die (laughs) and so so like everywhere you go has 
good coffee and it's not expensive. That's what I noticed. Like, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, it'll be like four bucks Australian, which would be like three American for, you know, uh, what's a a star- I don't even know. What's a Starbucks these days? What's your, uh, what's the, I, they were charging like four fifty five bucks American <sighs> for a latte. Yeah, and so that's, much. you know, that's a, a 50% premium over what I'm used to paying in Australia for better coffee. So Starbucks here in Australia has not succeeded because their coffee's not better. And the places you generally still find them are tourist areas. Uh, they, the other advantage they have is, uh, They've got different foods. You know, most coffee shops in Australia are like you can get uh, maybe a sausage roll, um, maybe, uh, you know, maybe a, a, some pies or something. But, you know, Starbucks is still like, hey, we've got scones <laughs> and we've got, you know, uh, bagels, which they don't have anywhere, you know, hardly at all in Australia. So my kids are like, I want a bagel from Starbucks. And I'm like, fine. You know, and they're like, are you going to get a coffee? You're like, no, I will walk next door to the coffee place and get a better coffee. You know, oh, so I, I end up, I end up a there. brutal review of Starbucks. For, man, yeah. Tell yeah. You, I mean, like so, so my kids, we end up in Starbucks in Australia for bagels. And then my kids are like, they've got better hot chocolate at, you know, this, you know, cause there is a, there's a Starbucks down in Manly in the Corso, which is this big tourist area I live near. And there's a Starbucks and it does, you know, okay business, but there's also like, 30 coffee shops in walking distance, you know, within like a three block radius. And so, you know, we know which ones are open late. That's a big advantage Starbucks has. Most of the coffee shops here close at three, which for coming from America seems, you know, sacrilegious because I used to hang out at coffee shops at night um, in college. But uh, yeah, so most of the coffee shops close at three, but you know, there is one that's open till five. And right, well, let me let me I, give you some kind of yeah. numbers that surprised me here. First, the Australian cafe industry is expected to hit uh, more than six billion in revenue in 2018. So, you know, like, what does that mean? Is that bad? But the, they go on to basically say this: even with a population that is 13 times smaller than America, the Australian retail coffee market is still 20 percent of the United States. So this, I mean, so if you're bringing coffee to Australia. You got to bring the real stuff. You got to like really. It's when, like you're almost like stepping up into king. conferences. This is like the Formula <laughs> One of coffee. It's like you can't just send over a NASCAR driver and expect to win the Australian market, right? This is uh, I, I I'm just amazed by it. So, but I think the the thing I wonder about is, can you imagine the meetings at Starbucks where like isn't somebody just getting <laughs> killed? Like what's going on? Why aren't we winning in Australia? Exactly. Cause, They're cause, like. You know, there's some Australian, they're like, Angus, Angus, what's the deal? And it's like, mate, I told you this was going to fail. <laughs> well, this is what I think is funny because like, you think the meetings probably went on for seven years because this is another quote from this article. In the first seven years in Australia, Starbucks accumulated $105 million in losses, forcing the country, the company to close 61 locations. So, yeah. and I think this is the funniest thing about it. It's like, okay, so now there are 39 locations, but in the article, they basically go on to list them out, which are all like very popular uh, areas, but they specifically say they are successful because those are tourist a- areas. So it's like Brisbane, Melbourne, Gold Coast, Sydney. So it sounds like the person that took over the Australian market and Starbucks, like, I know how we're going to win. We're just going to sell this coffee to the same people who've been buying it in other parts of the world, and we're going to hide it. <laughs> 
from the Australians. We're going to like, we're not even going to talk to, it's like Outback here, right? Like Outback in the United States is just some, you know, crazy Australian brand. No Australian would ever eat there. And I think that's what's going they on. Starbucks. They have one here. An Outback? Yeah, it's, it's by the Costco. It's by the Costco. Does any, that's got to, well, that has to be a tourist thing. Like who's going, who, and who's going to the know. Outback in Australia? I don't know. Not me. All right. No, not me. But uh, yeah, so um, coffee is, uh, it, I just not 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 the Starbucks. I go there for the bagels. Well, good to hear, Matt. So, well, let us know if you know. I, I think you're the one. You you're gonna, you're going to report on the scene. Should Starbucks really start to take over? Let us know. Report in. Let us know if you get uh, above 39 locations. And I guess everyone else that's listening, you know, from the United States, well, don't worry. You're you're probably going to be in tourist locations, so you can probably find a Starbucks. But just know, <laughs> every Australian person. We'll be judging you if you walk around with a Starbucks coffee. That's really the most important thing. Well, they'll, so. they'll, they'll know you're a tourist. <laughs> definitely, definitely. All right, Matt, let's get on to some, some real news. So we had a lot of surveys this week, and we had our uh, good friends at uh, the Stack Overflow group. They issued their Stack Overflow Developer Survey 2022. So lots of interesting things in here. I want to get your take on it. So the first one I thought we'd start off with is uh, – what kind of developer are you? So there's a bunch of different answers people gave, but roughly 46% people identify as a full stack developer, 43% is the back end, and then it really starts to drop down, right? You know, basically 15% are developers of enterprise applications. We get on to um, developer and mobiles and things like this. So my question, though, is uh, I don't want to like question anyone's response, of course. Like everyone is free to respond to these <laughs> however they want. But I always think to myself, like, really? Really, are forty eight percent of these people really full stack developers? And like, is a full stack developer really a thing? Not like a person that knows how to do both, but someone that like legitimately is moving back and forth in a very proficient way. Like, doesn't every team sort of like have the JavaScript person that sort of like knows how to make the HTML and make it all work, and then they have the back end person that really un understands the domain logic? So I don't want to say anyone's lying, but I just feel like it's more like a resume word <laughs> than it is like. Like, really, really? So what's your take? Am I missing? I see. Are there a lot of full-stack developers I, out there? Am I too cynical? No, I, I don't think there are a lot of full-stack developers. I mean, I think <clears throat> I would not put that on my resume. You know, I, and, and I've done front-end work. I've done some UI work. It's been a long time. I mean, we're talking, you know, Java struts a long time. So, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to go back to that. You know, JavaScript is a scary, th scary place to me. But also, like... Um, when I think of a full stack developer, I, I want someone who can handle the full life cycle of that application. And I don't think most developers do. And, and you know, I, I think most of them are like, you know, I commit my bits and it goes into, you know, CICD and then it shows up somewhere. And that's perfectly fine as a developer, right? But, you know, do you care about the operating system and storage? You know, you probably shouldn't have to, uh, but if you're if you put full stack developer on there, I want you to be able to tell me, you know, what, uh, you know, how, uh, you know, file system U limits are going to affect you, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, because because I saw, uh, you know, there's that classic Google question about, you know, when I type, uh, you know, <laughs> Google.com into my browser, what happens, right? And and literally, like, when I, the first time I saw that, I thought, okay, well, when you hit, you know the W, uh, you know, the 
term sends it to X term, which sends it to the OS. And I, and I, I mean, I, and literally, and, you know, and then it bounces off the kernel and then it goes onto the HD, you know, the, the, the network stack and it goes out. And it's like, I think most people are probably like, you know, oh, you know, it starts at, you know, this level of networking. It's like, no, no, no. You said full stack. I want to talk about actuators and keyboards. <laughs> right. And that's what that, um, there's that person that's like compiling the response on GitHub, where that's where he starts, right? The interrupt of like the keyboard or whatever. I guess the switch hitting the keyboard. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like... yeah, yeah. That, that's great. Because I saw that and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm lost in the weeds. You know, six, uh, the first six steps, I'm down in like the internals of the operating system. And, you know, nobody wants to hear that. But pro tip for interviewing, if you want to run out the clock, that's how you do it. <laughs> Well, that's, I guess maybe that's a better question is like when you, cause you sort of answered it already, but when you meet somebody and you're interviewing them, like I'm actually almost like more, like I'm, I'm going to have more questions. I'm more skeptical if you say you're a full stack versus like if you went in. So I guess it's just sort of like, what is the strategy like to get hired? Cause it's probably what, you know, these, when these terms really matter, it's like, if you put full stack, I actually feel like that's going to like reduce your, I don't know. You're just going to have to answer more questions, I guess, where if you say, you know, I'm really primarily a backend developer, but, you know, I certainly know about the front end and, you know, I'm familiar with it, but I just don't do it day to day. Like that seems like a very re- – or vice versa. Like I, you know, I primarily focus on the front end. Of course, I know about how the back end works, but that's where my expertise is. Like that to me is like a very – at least you're coming in right that's away. with an like, honest answer. Yeah, and you're just – but you're. I feel like someone that comes in that way, it's like, okay, like you're kind of volunteering what you know, and now we're going to move on to the next step. I'm not going to spend a lot of time guessing like which <sighs> where you actually spend your time. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't like gotcha interviewing, right? Where, but if somebody comes in and they, and they, put, they have the gall <laughs> to put something like that, I'm going to be like, when you say full stack, what do you think full stack means? And they're, and they're probably going to be like, well, you know, I'm talking about from the browser to the, uh, to the uh, back end. And I'm like, that's not the full stack, baby. <laughs> well, that kind of goes back to your question here, like the Google interview question. It's like, is that a good interview question? Like, is that really like... I mean, it's a fun question. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a fun question because you can kind of start at like literally any, I mean, you can almost start with like, let me start with biology about moving my finger, right? To actually type it in. Like, but I, I kind of thought to myself, it was like, no, do you like really <laughs> learn anything? Like for someone that's going to work at Google or any large enterprise, like does this really yeah, teach you anything yeah. about like, like, are they going to be good at their job at Google if they answer that question rightly or wrongly? Like, right, right. It, it depends on the interviewer, right? So they're definitely, they're definitely interviewers who, for whatever reason, feel like they need to play gotcha. You know, they need to be like, they need to one up you and find that, you know, oh, you know, you said you, you know, you're an expert on, on Emacs, but you didn't know about this feature in Emacs 27. Right. And, uh, you know, (laughs) and, and I would be like, you know, oh, cool. Emacs, you know, tell me about it. And, and see the, the difference there is rather than try to some, pin someone down on details, you let them express what they know about it. And then you ask questions based off the things they express. And so with this full stack question or with this, uh, you know, google.com question, you, you want to let them show you how they think about the world. You want to give them the opportunity to say, you know, Hey, do you want to go deep? Cause I'll go deep on it. And you know, probably they don't, but it's nice in an interview to have that back and forth of it's a conversation. It's not, it's not a pop quiz, right? Because if you hit me with the pop quiz, I'm going to be like, yeah, this isn't the place for me. I want to work at somewhere where we're going to discuss questions and problems and issues. And, you know, and and as the interviewer, I'm going to want to see how does this person think about the world? You know, I'm not, you know, gotcha questions are stupid. 
I mean, they just are because most people don't think on their feet. I, I, I mean, I would say, you know, I'll Google that for you and I'll get back to you. And, <laughs> or, you know, and especially, especially, yeah, like Google will be like, you know, how does Google work? And be like, I'll Google it for you. Yeah, that would be awesome. Um, no, but, but like, especially if you are customer facing, which, you know, m- most, more and more people are, but nothing is worse than telling a customer something wrong, you know, lying. I mean, essentially you're, you're just yeah. saying like, oh, this is how it works. It's much better to say, this is how I think it works. I'll confirm and I'll get back to you. And then you do that. And in an interview, I don't want someone getting caught in a dumb lie. Um, I'd rather they, they say like, I don't know, here's how I think it works, you know, and then talk it through because that shows a much more rational approach to problem solving and working with others and working with humans, which is probably what you're looking for in a hire. You're not looking for, you know, page one of Google searches. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. And I also think that, you know, one of the things that, especially if a question gets used a lot as an interviewer, right, then you sort of get really good at knowing the, the responses, right? Whereas like, it's much more interesting if, if you're, even if you are the interviewer, like you put yourself in the same kind of condition that the, the interviewers or the, the person you're interviewing is. So it's, like, it's like, so, okay, so tell me about the system that you built, like what went wrong. And then, you know, you are learning with them, right? You're sort of in this, you're like an equal playing field versus like, oh, I've heard the answer to this question like 50 times and I've been trained on what to, to look for. And it's like, that's not, I don't know. I never find like that very helpful. I don't care about manholes, right? <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, it's kind of the manhole cover. Like how many gas stations are in the United States? And like I don't know. It's just like a lot of those things don't. I don't know. So we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I don't know. You know, Google's not really doing well. So what do they know? Right? They're only worth like a couple trillion dollars. <laughs> so, well, they, they just converted the, the the whole software industry to work their way. But sure, you know, yeah, we, yeah, what we, do we, we got know? SREs and Kubernetes running around. But whatever. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Now the other thing I thought was interesting is. Uh, about age, right? So it looks like the majority of people that are developers, at least in the survey, is uh, 30, almost 40% are between the ages of 25 and 34 years old. So a little younger than us for, for better for. So my question to you is like, do you think is this like, is 35 the point where like people are like, I'm ready to do something different? Is there something magical about like turning 35, I've been coding for 10 plus years? And now's the time to like, maybe I'm going to go to product management. Maybe I go to sales. Maybe I go to customer support. Uh, maybe I, you know, just exit the industry and go build houses somewhere else. Like, I, I don't know. I, was, I just think it's like a, because there's a pro, if you look at the graph, there's a big drop, like right from that in that one age group and then it drops again. Yeah. Um, so what's your take? Is it, is, is 35, if you're over 35, should you still be coding or should you have found some other purpose with your life? What do you think? I, I think, I think uh, there's, for a lot of folks, they've got the exposure to the the industry and the business side of things, and it's not just the code anymore. Um, back back in the old days, uh, when I was running a partner engineering team, um, you know, when I was interviewing people, no nobody has a background in business development. <laughs> I mean, just literally, mo- most most developers uh, that's not where they're coming from. Right. And, and I ran a engineering organization inside of BizDev, and so you know, I would tell people it's like, okay, I'm going to change the way you think about software. Okay. And you know, this might not be the job for you if you know. And because the people I was interviewing, most of them were you know, coming from a, an ops background, you know, SRE or you know, developers. And I was like, okay, you're going to learn that software. Um, the success of software has nothing to do with the code. Mm-hmm. 
And most of them were like, wait, what? You know? <laughs> and I was like, because we're going to talk about sales and partners and the ecosystem in which you operate in. And we're going to talk about delivering features to go at a conference, not in front of a user. And we're going to make sure that things get the, uh, you know, the, the maximum marketing exposure, which is not what developers ever want to care about. And, I, and you know what's going to happen is you know, we're going to get more users for our software, and that's going to get people excited. And we're going to be the people that sales likes best in the engineering org. And we're not in the engineering org because, you know, we're the ones who are like gluing stuff together and making it work for customers, you know, because we were, we were the integration team. We were the ones who were like, you know, and, and the, the show team, you know, so, so it was all conference driven design. And like a lot of people, I mean, it wasn't that huge a team, but everybody kind of, some of them went off to do like, you know, DevRel kind of stuff, like, uh, you know, yep. no SSH, JJ. And, and, you know, they're uh, quite enthusiastic about it. <laughs> Some of them went back to like, okay, I'm going to go live in my operations hobbit hole. And that's cool too, right? But it was it, that exposure um, comes for a lot of developers. You know, may, you know they, they don't all work on my team, but a lot of people, like their eyes start to open up after, you know, being a developer for 10 years, like, you know, there's a lot more going on. And, you know, I kept thinking that if I just wrote, you know, better algorithms that everybody in the company would take notice and, and, you know, I'd have more say in the, the direction of the product and that's not happening. And the reason is because it doesn't have to do with the code. I mean, obviously you have to have a great idea. You have to have great code, but you have to have all those other things. You know, you have to have sales that can, you know, can execute. You have to have marketing that has a message that is usable by people. You know, the, the, some of the greatest code I've ever seen is, you know, no penetration, you know, nobody uses it. Um, there's so much more, there's so much more to it. Nobody cares. Right. What I, and I think that's the part that's really interesting is the fact. So you know, basically, so it's really 40% of developers cause I'll we'll round up from 39, like I said, 25 to 34, and then it drops to basically 19, just under 20%. And I think, you know, what I think is interesting, maybe I'll do this in a future survey is like, where do people go? Cause I think, I think all the things you just mentioned, whether it's business development, product management, and it's like, even, even like team leads, you know, your, your team leads aren't going to be coding anymore. The good teachers, you know, becoming principals. Yeah. People becoming like architects and people kind of getting into more management. So I think that's actually the more interesting thing about it would be sort of like, where do people go? So, cause I don't think it is, I don't necessarily believe everyone's immediately leaving software. Although I'm there are a few, I'm sure, you know, a few people like I've met people where they're like, yep, I'm leaving. I'm going to go build houses or I'm going to go do so. They always leave for like a physical job. Yes. Yes. There's that, that Twitter uh, post going around. Um, we'll put it in the show notes of, you know, the, when junior developers interview where they see themselves in 10 years and they're like, you know, wearing their hoodie in front of a keyboard. And, you know, when senior developers interview where they see themselves in 10 years and like they're farming. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's look a little bit at the technology. This is always a fun one, right? You know, what are the programming languages that are popular? So couple, you know, popular ones, nothing surprising. JavaScript was uh, 67%. I don't think that's anything surprising. HTML slash CSS, that's at 54%. Now, what did jump out to me, SQL, SQL, was uh, 52% of people doing that. So I don't know. Is that sort of like the rise of, uh, I don't know, I guess, data analytics? And everybody does SQL. That's like saying, you know, you use a text editor. At some point, you're going to be doing SQL. 
I know, but I feel, I don't know. I guess you're right. I'd have to go back and look at like year over year because I felt like, I don't know. I feel like this has jumped up a lot more because the other ones are all the ones we know, Python, TypeScript, Java, C Sharp, like, you know, all of that is just kind of right. your typical. Um, but I, I feel like, you know, we do hear more and more and obviously there's lots of different databases. Not all of them use SQL, but it does feel like maybe this is sort of like people that are just like, yeah, I'm working with the data now and I just need to know. Uh, maybe this is my, my mythical Excel developers. They're like, yeah, we know a little SQL to hook up our Excel uh, spreadsheets and away we go. Yeah, I, but it's always been there. Yeah, I I I, I fail to see an uptick. I so mean, nothing now. I'm not right. running the numbers, but it's like I probably it's like you know if you've been a developer for ten years, you've probably touched SQL multiple times. You might not use it this year. Maybe you didn't use it last year, but you've probably used it, and you will again in the future. Yeah, yeah, maybe you're right. So, well, then other than that, <laughs> it's though, not going away. I was gonna say, not much change then. It's just like it's all the usual subsets. I was wondering if, uh, you know, my frame, uh, the Apple uh, language would get in here, but no, 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 uh, nothing new. C, PHP, Bash, and Shell. I don't know. I always like, doesn't feel like a programming language, but like people get mad when I say that kind of stuff. It's like gatekeeping, but like, okay, yeah, I fine, mean, you know, you just, of course you're you know, using that, right? Yeah, uh, you know, the ones that we might think might be popping up or are still to uh niche no go no ruby no uh rust you know but uh yeah that's that's fine all right what about databases <laughs> on databases everything seems to be in order mysql leads the way postgres second sql light third the only one that jumped out at me is mongo i was surprised almost at 30 percent. that's that was higher than i would have guessed like i i don't you know I think of uh, Mongo as, I don't know, I kind of felt like it was more niche than it really shows up in the survey. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think I think it is, uh, it's just one of those technologies that it's so easy to get started and it fits a lot of simple use cases that people don't look past it and they don't need to, right? And there, there are plenty of, you know, Mongo, uh, there's plenty of Mongo options. You know, you can, you can get it from uh, your cloud providers, you can get it from Mongo, you can get it from your operating system. It's it's pretty ubiquitous. All right. Moving on to cloud then. Obviously no surprise in the top four here. You know, or actually maybe a surprise. AWS leads the way. Azure. Maybe a surprise. Google, Google Cloud. Um, and then Heroku though. That was the one I did highlight. It comes in at twenty percent. So it's uh, I guess it's really fifth on this. So, you know, we talk about Heroku like it's dead, like it's over it, that we all missed the window, but evidently 20%, that's pretty high. That's like shockingly high to me. So I was, uh, so plenty of people still using it, I guess, or they just haven't shut down their free instance like me. <laughs> well, you know, when you need, when you need to run a simple microservice, it's there for you. And, you know, it's, it's just, it's a classic, you know, but uh, I think yeah. what's kind of interesting is, is past those, you, you have a lot of stuff that to me kind of represents a lot of the same stuff, potentially. Uh, you've got your, you know, your, your co-location uh, at the bottom of your list of uh, 1.26%. But as you, as you move higher, you get to manage hosting. Like, is it that much different from Colo? You know, in VMware, like, where's that VMware running? Is it in managed Colo? Is it you know, in a data center. So I, I think, I think if you kind of like squint and you look, you know, throw in the open stack and, and uh, you know, you might still be looking at 15% on premises uh, or traditional uh, data center technologies, you know, and, and I throw managed into traditional cause it's, it's still machines, right? It's not, it's not cloud. And so to me, to me, like whether or not it's managed, it doesn't matter. Right. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a yeah. data center. You know, you don't think of it as the cloud. You think of it as a data center. 
and so to me that's still pretty you know an open stack kind of falls in the it's a data center um stack well those two i thought both ibm and openstack really bringing up the rear ibm at like 1.68 percent and openstack at two percent so it's like wow it's like and i would not have predicted them to be high but like it's at least in this survey, like they are definitely way, way behind, which is, I don't know, which is, which is just interesting. I don't, in, it'll be interesting to see going forward. I guess OpenStack, like, does it, does it maintain the 2% or like next year does it down? Or is it just basically <laughs> falling off the face of the earth, right? Is it just I, done? Yeah. I, I think it's, it's pretty safe. Uh, you know, I, I think looking, I think looking at this, this, the bottom of the stack, it's, uh, you know, we hear a lot about Oracle. I was kind of surprised to see. Oh, um, I mean, I was surprised to see them beneath like Linode and and so far behind DigitalOcean. But uh, yeah, maybe they've done a good job of marketing. Um, and and weirdly, you know, Firebase coming in at number four uh, is that a mobile? I mean, is that why it's there? Because uh, it's just not. I don't know. I have I, no I, answer. I know you know, Firebase I put that on here, and I just not on my radar, right? Yeah, it's kind of shocking. It's like, I don't know. It's just like, that's just a hard, I mean, that's probably, you know, requires some follow-up questions. Like, what's going on? Like, what are people doing? Why is it so popular? And maybe it is. Maybe the, your answer to the mobile side, like that's sort of the proxy for mobile. It's like everyone's using Firebase. Yeah, well, uh, I don't know, maybe if, someone if, in Slack will tell us. If Firebase is in there, why aren't the other like mobile stacks in there, right? I mean, because yeah, there are other question. ones, you know. I mean, Amazon sitting at fifty one percent. Should we just you know break up Amazon and and see that you know EC two still beats Azure? Um, should we see you know because that's that's what I would like to see is like you know the roll up and, and roll down of, of those you know uh, expansion you know of of those just to see you know well sure we say AWS but is it you know is it mobile stuff is it you know traditional IS you know what what makes up that AWS number? Yeah. No, it's a good question. We'll have to, uh, you know, we'll have to send some feedback. They'll have to get on that and answer some of our questions for us next year. All right, we're going to wrap up here with two subjects. I'm going to call these the Matt Ray specials, right? First, the environments. Probably no surprise. Only surprise is like, man, how much it leads. Visual Studio Code coming in at just over 75%. Clearly the dominant uh, development environment at this point. Now, below that, there's a bunch of stuff. But the ones I picked out, uh, VI or Vim, coming in at you know about 24 percent and then matt for you max coming in at 4.51 percent so i i i'm i was surprised to see such a difference between vim and emacs were, were you is it or is it just emacs is as niche as it's ever yeah been? i i mean i i love me some emacs i'm not going to tell you that uh 2023 is the year of emacs on the desktop um <laughs> you know but i i i think it's it's just a hardcore technology that, you know, I'm not going to tell you it's, it's for everyone. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, uh, I, I don't want to make some sort of terrible metaphor, but uh, Vim being higher. Yeah. It's, it's kind of always been that way. It's ubiquitous. You know, if you throw me in, in front of VI, I can, you know, do a few commands and, 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 and get out, uh, which is always a positive, <laughs> but I, the, the, the best right. part there though, is the, it adds up to more than a hundred percent. So, you know, clearly there are lots of folks like myself who will jump back and forth between editors um, in a pinch. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I make sure I have Emacs everywhere, but if, if I, you know, found myself on a machine, I know VI would be there too. And so I think for a lot of these folks, you know, they're using, um, you know, visual, uh, visual studio, visual code, uh, whatever. Um, and, 
but they're perfectly happy to drop into other editors of choice. I've seen people, you know, going back and forth between Notepad and and uh, IntelliJ. So you know, you never know. Um, I would have liked to have seen more choices. You know, I I, I definitely don't like the monoculture. Uh, you know, we lost Adam recently. Um, you know, hopefully there's some you know sublime holdouts out there, but uh, it's nice to have more choices. Yeah. No. Well, I think. The thing that surprised me here is a little bit is like, did I, I guess I hate to say snuck up, but like, did Microsoft just kind of take over the whole development environment while everyone wasn't watching? It's like, you know, you got the GitHub, you got Visual Studio Code. It's like, yeah, like, I mean, pretty much we're all using, or most people, if you'll believe the survey, because I didn't even bother with like the source controls because it's just, you know, it's everything's Git, right? There's like nothing really else to talk about. So I don't know. I mean, I guess kudos to Microsoft. Like they've, they kind of own this developer experience. Like people always talk about it, but like when you look at the numbers, it comes through like loud and clear that people prefer Microsoft tools for development. Yeah, yeah. All right, so Matt, this we'll end on this one. This is going to get kind of personal. I hope you, I hope you don't take any offense. So it was most loved uh, versus dreaded. So Docker Kubernetes leading the way, one two as uh, most loved versus dreaded. At the bottom, unfortunately, your old job comes back. Chef and Puppet at the absolute bottom, being people, uh, I guess they sixty eight percent dislike or or, or dread Chef, and uh, only right above that sixty three percent dread puppet so i don't know matt what happened here i, I feel like the <clears throat> chef puppet world it's it's taking a real beating in this I, i'm just i'm just gonna suggest that maybe a lot of former employees have voted <laughs> is this more a price this a, a referendum on private equity or is this a referendum on technology i guess maybe that's the ultimate question here because i i was i don't know like i always remember people like loving chef like the people that were into it like having a yep. real passionate base like I, I was i was shocked to see it so low uh, so, i um, i would i i would hazard to suggest that the trend numbers have gone substantially down the last year and a half okay <laughs> All right. So, so no love for, for private equity is what you're saying. It's, it's just, uh, it is what yeah. it is. All right. Well, all of that information, and a lot more is available in the stack overflow developer survey. I thought it was actually, a yeah, yeah, it's there's always, lot, there's actually lots of stuff in there. Um, we obviously, we read a lot of it. We can't get to all of it, but like, if you're interested in it, it's anything, always good. You should, uh, you should check it out. Uh, but Matt, hey, you know, another area kind of related to your old job and is uh, the supply chain. And, you know, I thought what was interesting this week is Aqua Security came out and I guess in conjunction with uh, CIS to release the quote unquote first former guidelines for the software supply chain. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at this. It's it's pretty long. I mean, it's like so I actually went in there and I downloaded the CS CIS document. And, uh, of course, like you have to register and it's just incredibly painful. I don't know why it's so painful to get to this regulation, but, uh, maybe someone needs to jot a lead gen that and just like put it on a file share somewhere. So I guess my initial thought reading through, it was like, it's a lot of words. There, there I mean, are a, a lot, lot of words. words for, um, and my initial thought was like, wow, this seems like we kind of already know this. And maybe they should have just written it in a spreadsheet. But then I was like, actually, no. Like, I mean, I guess is it is it worth someone going through and painstakingly writing this out in kind of a formal I, I, technology I paper? It, like, do you think it's I, useful? I, I do. I, I mean, there are a lot of technologies out there, you know, and a lot of acronyms that not everyone is familiar with, you know, SBOMs and, and you know, CICD and, and whatever. And a lot of people, like, they don't have time to keep up on everything. And there's a lot of new players in the space. Um, you know, ever since uh, 
uh, the solar winds hack, you know, money's been pouring into this sector, like, like nonstop. <laughs> and I think, I think it, it, I don't want a NIST standard or anything for how to do CICD, but I think putting together, you know, diagrams and, and flow charts of like, you know, and this is where you plug in one of these 19 tools and, and, you know, and this, you know, and this will run on one of these 37 CICD platforms. And, you know, you just kind of put down the charts and like, and, you know, and now the code is compiled. Now you run your, you know, know, now you run your linting, now you run your test, you know, and and just like a flow chart of that, you know, maybe, maybe it's going to come out of, uh, uh, this, you know, the, uh, uh, oh, oh, the um, Linux Linux Foundation, uh, the the one they have around uh, CI/CD. Um, you know, they 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 have a a, uh, <laughs> a nonprofit or whatever you call it, um, dedicated to uh, workflows uh, of, of this sort. I, I got I'm going blank on them, but the, the whole, it's fine. Yeah, I think of it. The, the whole point mm-hmm. is like they need to just put out like charts. They like the the. Um, CNCF landscape and it's just like you know code goes in here you know stuff gets deployed there to to the CNCF <laughs> and then you know that that pipeline of of everything in between because the document frankly the document is extremely boring I, I you know I couldn't get through that much of it I was like this is boring but what I did like is you know I don't know I guess in conjunction right they have this uh, open source tool what is it called here uh, chain bench I don't know if you've ever used that but basically it's it'll you know, the way I look at it is the document is the requirements and Chainbench is essentially a, you know, open source kind of auditing tool that you could run that will kind of give you some indication of like of which of these rules you're breaking. Right. So it's like that seems like reasonably useful that that's and I and my feeling is like, hey, you just need a tool like this to get better and better so that people can run it rather than actually have to go manually read this document, like create their own spreadsheet and figure out if they're actually doing anything. It reminds me a little bit you know, of, uh, you know, your, your time at chef, like the cookbooks, right. Cause like weren't a lot of the cookbooks, you know, at least some of them based on a lot of stuff in CIS, right. Essentially they were checking for the, the rules inside CIS. Yeah. That, that was more on the, the compliance side of things. I mean, the room, the remediation was a nightmare, but you know, checking for the state of things like what's coming out of aqua, that's usually more straightforward. You know, you don't know how it got to that state, but you can tell if it's right or wrong. Fixing it's a much harder problem. But um, yeah, I mean, we, we definitely had a lot of uh, compliance checks and, uh, you know, this is stepping into that uh, hole that uh, kind of opened up 18 months ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, you called this, this was, I think, in your, one of your end of year predictions, right? It was like, or I think somebody asked like, you know, if you were starting a company, yeah. what would you start? And like, this is why you see like all of these software supply chain companies i mean there are like a million there are a million of them and and they're all are doing different well they're all doing different things and clearly they can't all survive but um you know there is a lot of money in this space because once you have the customers using these sorts of tools they're probably pretty sticky right because nobody wants to like up and rewrite their company's workflow for releasing code and so you know the the cd foundation that's why they're there. You know, I, I, I did, you know, go and look up what I was brain stuck on. Uh, the Continuous Delivery Foundation that uh, is under the Linux Foundation, that's what they're about. You know, they, they host those products and they want to get people at least thinking about standardized CICD pipelines. Um, and once you're in that, you know, you become GitLab, you become, you know, 
uh, Atlassian. You know, it, those those sorts of tools are hard to dig out once they're in place because you have to disrupt everyone's workflows and nobody has time for that. Yeah. Well, I think it's good. So, well, I don't know. Everyone should check out Chainbench. And now I do think, you know, I was sort of looking for something to like simplify this whole thing. And I was like, I actually like this blog post, I guess, from uh, Slim AI. Basically, they call it the four S's of uh, software supply chain security. But really, I think it's just three. I, mean, I, don't know. They have, I was going to like go through it because I just want to keep it simple. Like, and I do think like software bill of materials, yeah. bomb. I don't know. I think that's how people are saying it. It's like, that seems like the absolute no brainer place to start, right? Like, yeah, just know what's in your build. Right. And like, write it all down and check that like nothing that's not in the S bomb is not in your software. So I really like that. And the way you're going to know that is you're going to sign it. Right. So you digitally sign your software and you know that it's only has the stuff that is in your S bomb. And then of course, once you've kind of got that figured out, it's just like, this is just back to like building containers or whatever. It's just like slim it down, like take as much out of that, that package as humanly possible that is not directly required by the software. And like, if you did those three things, if you just did all of that, like, you know, it's kind of like the whole thing when we talk about passwords, it's like, I don't know if you just got a password manager, you're so far ahead of the game that, um, you know, you're like 90% ahead of everybody. It's like, sure. It'd be great if you were, you know, everything had two FA and all those other things, but at least you've got different passwords. And I feel like those three things are just as good on uh, the supply chain. Now, the fourth one that I sort of, uh, you know, just, you know, I think this is part of their marketing message. They talk about sharing, basically right. share all this information. And it's like, yeah, I mean, that's great. Yeah, you should share it and stuff. But like, just the fact you wrote it all down, like you're you're getting the gold star if you do the first three. Like, that's all I care about. You know, sharing, I think that more, that's more along the lines of have, make this reproducible and consumable, right? So you want someone to be able to verify what you've done, you know, sharing. Yeah. That, that might feel a little, you know, hand wavy, but, but really you want someone if in the, you know, in the need of, of an audit, you need to reproduce these builds or verify what went into them. You can do that. And so, you know, it's, it's worth noting. Right. I guess it, to me, it doesn't fit their uh, little alliteration and trust me, I'm a man that loves alliteration, <laughs> but like, I just think it's another word for automation. It's like, yeah, what you should do is like automate all of these things, right? Like, you know, generate your software bill of materials, generate the signing. And, you know, and then of course, like if, once you do that, then almost anyone can walk in and be like, oh, well, well, go see what's yeah. going on. And I, I can reproduce it over and over again. So, you know, sharing feels like a little hand wavy to me. It's like, if you say automate, I don't know, maybe it's a little pedantic on my end. Yeah. But I'm just like, I'm, a, I'm all in on automation sharing. I'm like, I just feels like I'm getting more email and like, we're talking about culture and it's just like, I'm, I'm zoned out. At yeah. I, I think it's, it's automating for auditing. And, uh, I think, Probably it just didn't fit their alliteration, um, but that's that's really the goal. <laughs> the goal is you want to that's automate right. all this stuff in a reproducible manner, and at yeah, the end well, of the day, that that solves you know ninety five percent of the problems that we we saw from things like solar winds and, and other uh, issues. And that's what it's all about. You want you know clean, reproducible builds, and slim would be nice. You know, smaller. Uh, Smaller's not always, but you know, it doesn't have to be better. But uh, uh, you know, you do want reproducible. All right. Well, everyone should check that out if you want to read more about it. A links in the show notes, and probably check out Chain Bench. And then you know, like I said before, just make sure you're doing those first three things. And you know, everyone should update their MBOs and be like, "Yep, we're doing these three things. We're ninety percent ahead of everybody else." So, all right, a couple more topics we got here. So, one, you know, the productivity. We got. We always have to talk about productivity software. So. 
as everybody knows, I've been pushing for Zoom to buy uh, Discord for, I don't know, like 17 years now since the beginning of this podcast. Probably not going to happen. So it looks like the future of Slack, as this article says, uh, looks a lot like Zoom. So unfortunately, and I'm using that word intentionally, is Slack is trying to reinvent video conferencing, which is exactly what we do not want, right? They're introducing this huddles feature. They believe that it's like traditional web conferencing is not right. It's not what we need. And I'm just here to say they are way off back. <laughs> I, I way off base. I hate when Slack does this. They're always like, they're always trying to like reinvent everything. Like there will be no email. Everyone will Slack. That of course that is wrong. Like we're always going to have email, but we still love Slack. I mean, it has a place. And I have to say, video conferencing is pretty much a solved problem. So what I want to happen here, our only hope, because I do not think Zoom is going to do anything because they basically have lost that huge market cap. I think it's clear that they just want to be a video, video conferencing company. That seems to be what they're good at building a product. But Mark Benioff, he's the one at Salesforce that bought Slack. Can he go further? Can he just buy Zoom and just like almost like an arranged marriage, like Slack and Zoom together would be the perfect combination. We'd have everything we need in one place and we'd finally be able to just have one set of tools that we can use. What do you think? What do you think of my proposal? I'm giving up on Zoom buying Discord. Let's just bring Slack and Zoom together and let's just reassign the VP of product at Slack to work on something different that he can reinvent and let's just get Zoom and Slack together. Thoughts? I, I, I'm down. I mean, you know, from from the uh, the the dream of Zoombox uh, lives on in Slack Zoombox. Um, I assume Salesforce has some sort of box type thing. Um, you know, they they got Slack. They they just need to build it because then you know they'll own like that whole pillar of productivity, and you know, we'll have a single viable alternative to teams, I guess, is, is where we're headed. Because um, if, if you let them build it themselves, it's probably just, it's going to be like one of those narrowing of, of, of focus, right? Most Slack users won't use it. And then you'll be on, a, on, on a, you know, you'll, you'll try to set up a meeting with somebody and they'll be like, oh, corporate doesn't allow Slack. And like, no, 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 it's Slack meetings or, you know, corporate doesn't allow discord and you know then we're like oh no we'll use zoom over here and so it's like somebody um it would have to be mark yeah, Benioff. it would have to be it's he's yeah. the only hope man he's the last one like he's the only because it looks like uh zoom is now down believe it or not they've like they're down to like 30 billion i believe market it. cap it's not my money yeah. but uh you know it's like i don't know hey salesforce like this seems like a great business zoom is a great business slack is a great business just get them together and and save us from huddles like i could not be less interested in huddles i don't want a huddles no. at all i want just you know just regular video conferences. well the, the, all right, there's so mark, google right that's right no no that's that's also not an option all right the other thing i wanted to get your take that's sort of related to it but uh i just wanted i just ran across this is funny evidently um a woman wrote this article discord uh improved my marriage and so she has set up a discord with her husband they now have 34 channels between the two of them including a whole a uh, new set dedicated to pregnancies and congratulations to them. There looks like they're gonna have a, a, a child. Private. Um, and they, <laughs> yeah, that's right. I assume it is. Um, and I just thought to myself, so if you propose to the family that all messaging is going to move to Discord, right? You're not going to use any of the group chats, 
no uh, no iMessage, no WhatsApp. And uh, you and your wife had 34 channels to organize your life. They have things like, you know, cat pictures, uh, random. Uh, you know, it basically looks like a corporate Slack, for, or I guess corporate Discord, for lack of a better word. I just thought to myself, this, I think 90% of families, would this would lead to some kind of divorce. What are your thoughts? Well... <laughs> we're we're slightly on that path uh with you know oh you're doing no, it. Not, not okay tell face, me more facetime right or, or facetime and, and messages mm-hmm. uh you know we we all have uh you know the iphones and and the apple devices so we're in that default life cycle so uh yeah i've got you know messaging between you know the whole family chat uh you know uh, me and my wife have a chat and me and my wife and each child have a chat and then I have direct with each child. So, yeah, we, we've got I've got. But that seems very this seems like the most common. I agree. I have a very similar setup. I would say what you're describing is the normal family setup, right? Yeah, we, we don't have we don't have channels. Maybe we do a lot yeah. of dog photos in the uh, in the main in the main uh, chat. But, uh, you know, may, maybe a photos channel would be good. I don't think so. I just think like, hey, if you're a family, like that's part of the same thing. You don't need a dog. But we we also have calendars, right? We have calendars. Uh Um, I'm with you on the calendar side. I just don't think two people in a relationship need 34 channels amongst themselves. That feels like maybe something's gone wrong. And the fact they're using Discord because it's like, yeah, everyone wants – it's just easier on your phone. Just use the group (sighs) chat, whether it's WhatsApp or uh, you know messages, Apple messages. So, all right. Well, if anyone has more, that would actually be a good call out to the listeners. If you are in a relationship and you have more than thirty-four Discord channels between you and your partner, I'd like to hear about it. I just like to hear what the record. If you, is. Ha- if you have more, someone's got a hundred. More than I don't know, ten. <laughs> <laughs> if you have more <laughs> than probably cool. three or four, you're you're onto something. Yeah, yeah, you've kind of figured it out. All right. Well, then finally, I guess we talked a little bit about. We hope that Zoom and uh, Slack come together. Probably won't happen, but that just give the people what they want. But speaking of that, I feel like IBM, we've talked a lot about IBM Cloud, always not so po- uh, positively, but I feel like this is IBM is about to do what everybody wants. IBM has announced their first quote-unquote cloudy mainframe to launch on June 30th, which is what I think I, the number one thing people like. This should be the launch of the year, in my opinion, from I, IBM. This is what people want from IBM more than anything. So the fact that they're sort of like quietly rolling it out only in select regions and not really talking about it is to me just a huge missed yeah, opportunity. Yeah, I, I, I checked the date on this when it was posted. I thought like, you know, is this is – this, has this been sitting? <laughs> You're like, I'm surely already. Exists. I mean, I, I thought maybe it had been sitting in beta for ten years or something. Uh, it this was such a no-brainer for so many cloud workloads. I mean, this is how this is this is you know a core component of Oracle's success. You know, the, whatever success they have is pulling those on-premises workloads into their SaaSes. And you know, IBM sitting on all those mainframes, uh, they they. They must have just thought, well, we'll continue to sell hardware. And this is, you know, rather than cross the chasm, they were like, let's see how deep this chasm goes. And, you know, it was just such an – it's 2022. I can't believe it's happening now. That's, that's all I have to say. 
it is funny. Sometimes it's like, you know, product management is, is hard. Sometimes it's like, no, no, just like people have been asking this since like the beginning of time. People have wanted access to a mainframe without having to buy the entire mainframe. And if you go on and read the article, it says that they're going to try to limit it to just, uh, you know, development environments and testing. And that, okay, that's fine too. But it's like, open the door, like get it going. It's just like, you know, oh having gosh. spent some time at IBM and just reading all the different things with Watson and so many different marketing messages. It's like, if you go to an IBM concert, uh, concert. If you go to a conference, you know, Matt, you and I have been at one together. I remember seeing you yeah, many yeah. years ago. And it's like, this is why I mean, people would ask you, not for this specifically, but they always had mainframe questions. They want to talk about it. It's like, you know, they just want more. And it's just like, to me, it's the easiest door to. Yeah. Nobody wants a mainframe. Nobody wants a mainframe, <laughs> but they want the mainframe workloads. Right. And, Absolutely. you know, they get them out of, get them out of my data center you know, run it for me. That's why, that's why I was saying earlier, like, you know, the 15% of managed colo and, and data centers, it's all the same thing. It's, but people don't want to run it. You know, people don't want to own it. Yeah. If you can get them off that, it becomes, you know, those workloads aren't going to go away. But even, even then, I'm sure it's, it's a struggle to, to relocate them. I'm sure companies like, you know, where you work or Amazon or whoever will be happy to migrate you into a managed version of it or, you know, maybe rewrite it. But maybe that's what IBM's scared of is if we open the door to making it easy to make your mainframe workloads portable, people will reevaluate if they want them. But that ship has sailed. And, you know, this was your chance to own the SaaS 10 years ago. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so I guess we'll just leave it at this. We'll be more positive. Like, I don't know why it took so long, but congratulations on IBM doing it. I believe this is going to be very well received, and I think many people are going to be excited about it. And who knows? You could be a, a it's just another reason for IBM to become a, a premier sponsor at a legacy conf, right? You know, finally, <laughs> we can run the mainframe in the cloud. That would be, well, that would even give them a keynote slot. Yeah, we, we better contact procurement now because I hear the conference might come in 10 years. <laughs> Yeah, it could be. It could be a while before we get in there. All right. Uh, as we wrap up here, I just wanted to go through a quick uh, listener feedback. So uh, turns out, as we talked about a little bit last week, there are a couple smart sprinkler systems. So several people in the chat uh, or in the Slack, rather, pointed out that I guess uh, Ranchio has a smart sprinkler system and Rainbird. So, yes. You can have a Wi-Fi enabled uh, sprinkler system we were talking about last week, and it sounds like they work really well. So I guess we will all have to decide uh, whether or not it's worth ripping out our uh, manual, what wheel-based uh, sprinkler systems for one of those things. But they do look nice, so so they do exist. Uh, the other thing I wanted everyone to know, if you want a sticker, all you have to do is uh, email your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com, and I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And then uh, finally, if you are looking for something else to listen to after this, you should go listen to uh, myself. I'm actually on the Cloudcast this week. It was so good. Friends, yeah. uh, Brian and Aaron, uh, they, they call it the mid-year update. I made them talk about some nonsense as well. So, you know, we, it's, it's not all serious. <laughs> you, you but well. We talked about VMware and a bunch of other stuff. So uh, always check out the Cloudcast. They're always doing a good job, and uh, it's great to be on that show. Also, a lot of conferences coming up. The that conference, if you uh, want to go to Wisconsin, you probably, if you're in the southern United States, you probably need to escape the heat. So that conference is happening on July 25th. We've got a bunch of different discount codes in there. And then uh, Cote's got a, a variety of uh, VMware shows that you should come up to. We probably want to talk about the Spring One platform. I think that's the one he's interested in. That's not till December, so you got plenty of time to get out there. And actually, one of our listeners wrote in and said, uh, DevOps Day uh, LA is coming up. So that's July 29th. 
29th, and there's another discount code in there as well. So you should uh, check all of those things out. Now, having said all of that, Matt, what is your recommendation this week? Uh, I've got a pair of recommendations. Um, so uh, my first is the, uh, the International Terminal at LAX. Um, (laughs) (laughs) all right hear me out um so i i uh i I recently traveled back and forth uh to the u.s from australia and and flew through lax and uh due to a flight delay i missed my connection and i was delayed 10 hours in la and so i i I was traveling on delta and so i went to the delta lounge in uh terminal two which is a domestic lounge and i said hey um I, I, you know, I've got 10 hours to kill. Can I buy a day pass? And the, the very nice woman at the counter said, uh, no, we don't sell day passes. And I was like, oh, man, I got 10 hours to kill. And I just landed from Sydney. And she said, here's, here, here's what you need to do. Down at the end of the hall is a shuttle that will take you to the international terminal. This terminal is a okay. dump. <laughs> okay. Go there and hang out. It's pretty empty. It's got a ton of restaurants and shops. Uh, you know, and, and she was right. It was a much lovelier place to spend than that, that cattle, cattle holding cell that they call terminal two. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's a, a pro tip from the pros at Delta. Thanks. And then, uh, my, my second, uh, my second choice for, uh, uh, for this episode is, um, the mango pie. Oh, let me make sure I get the name right. Um, the mango pie MQ pro and if it looks like a raspberry pie uh it's no coincidence it's the same form factor but it's risk five uh which is interesting because it appears to be the first risk five board that i've seen for under 50 bucks which is kind of like the sweet spot for trying out new hardware for me is you know i'm i'm pretty cheap and uh these things have about a gig of you can get them with a gig of ram and it's probably raspberry pi level performance I haven't got mine yet, but they are available from stores, uh, most mostly in China. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I've got I've got one in my shopping cart uh, to ship from China, and it might get here in August. But you know, it's a start. It's a start. So if you're interested in esoteric uh, single board computers, <laughs> there you go. Well, for all of you out there, for all three of you out there, we'll wait for Matt Ray's review of the Risk V board. I, I, I mean, I hope, I hope, I hope it's as exciting as the Raspberry Pi uh, clusters you've been building. So I look forward to you coming uh, on the show and explaining what craziness you've done with Risk V. Because now you've, well, you've escaped the the tyranny of the ARM instruction set. Is that basically the? <laughs> well, so, so, it, so right? the advantage of you're just yeah. too limited by that. Uh, well, <laughs> I mean, you know. Those of us who have been paying attention knew that ARM was going to continue to get better, right? We, we knew right. that like, oh, yeah. yeah, because of this open source advantage it has, they will continue to collaborate between the various people doing ARM development, and this will iterate faster than other closed source instruction sets. But ARM still has pretty heavyweight licensing re- re- uh, requirements, and um, some people see that as you know, uh, a deterrent to using it. Uh, And and so risk, risk five is completely open source and you don't need a license to deploy it, which allows people to do more interesting things. You, you know, you might see, you know, thousands of cores on a, on a board, for example, or, you know, just embedding everywhere. And, and so it's slow today, but, you know, uh, let's check in in uh, five years on the state of risk five. And I bet it's, you know, made up a lot of, a lot of the lead. And so, 
why not get in at no, the ground floor? I think for sure. Yeah. I'm sure there's some Apple engineer right now who's like, yep, this is where we're going next. Ten years from now, there's going to be a MacBook Pro on wrist. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. We'll Apple all look forward to it. cemented such a such a you know a standard of their own. I mean, now that they control their own hardware, it's harder to switch. You know, it's there's even less reason to switch. You know, so. Right, but you could just see, like, I just would be the Apple thing is like, no, no, we're not. Like, we they have a, I think they have a perpetual license for ARM. Exactly. They'd be like, nope, too constraining. We're going risk risk five. So, all right, we we'll look forward to that. Um, all right, well, my my recommendation, not at all related to that, surprisingly. Um, I just, I guess, after Gmail was released in two thousand and four, so I can tell you, it has taken me eighteen years to. Uh, basically run out of Gmail space. So I, you know, when it came out, it was just like, you don't delete anything. You just archive everything. So that's what I've been doing. So I came up on like the 15 gig limit. And so I had to go through and be like, all right, I started to just upgrade, right? You know, buy the Google one. It's like $20 a year for hundred gigs. But I was like, wait a minute. minute. Okay. Do I really, (laughs) do I need all this email? You know, I mean, I'm going to spend several hours of my day costing me a lot more money uh, doing this to save it. So what I learned was a couple different things. If you're trying to, if you will, figure out where all your, your old mail and large mail is. So one thing, Google makes it very easy. First, they'll show you your largest email attachment. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure someone in your life has sent you like an enormous video or two. So that's the first place you start just get rid of your large attachments you know save them to your computer or whatever now i did that and i got rid of a good amount of space but what i then figured out i was like you know i had a lot of spam email just like i don't know like netflix disc remember when netflix used to send notifications about uh your dvd shipping i had all kinds of crazy email like this so so i kind of was going through and manually searching and google search gmail search operators fantastic like that's the one thing you can do in gmail so much better than outlook you can just search for anything and and that was an easy way to kind of clear out some stuff so got rid of a bunch more stuff but then i was like you know what i really want to see is like top senders who are the people that have sent me the most amount of email because that will give me like a clue as to like maybe some people some things i can just delete so didn't find there was some kind of third-party services but i didn't you know had a little matt ray in me i was like i'm not giving you access to my email i'm not giving that right i want i don't want that but what you can do is you can do google takeout you can download all your email so you just have it so that's probably pretty smart it puts it in inbox format and then i found this uh gmail top sender script so somebody figured out you know i don't know it's some set of bash commands basically go through and it gives you it's not perfect but it gives you essentially an, uh, a list of like here's all the people that sent you an email all the email addresses so that sort of reveals like oh why do i have like 2000 emails from uh hilton hotels with uh different promotions so i went through that and i deleted a whole bunch of uh uh email from top senders which were clearly like promotions and things i didn't need to so i went from so my so the net net is i went down from like if you will almost up to the 15 gigs so now i got i cleared out 10 gigs so i felt like this is a pretty good every 15 to 20 years, I will spend a couple hours going through and deleting email. And uh, I think Gmail is still one of the best products from Google. I love it. So uh, so if you need to figure out, if you're getting to that point, check out the Gmail top sender script. It's a very easy way to clear your email. I, I just deleted 2,500 emails. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. while you were talking it's, well it's amazing i was just like oh, it's yeah. amazing when you start to figure out when you, and it's actually kind of um it's almost like a weird it's a i don't know if it's fun i guess it was fun for me you have to decide it's fun for you it's like when you go through and you start especially when you start looking at email that's really old it's almost like, like looking at old photos you're like 
oh yeah i remember when that was like because like there'll be whole services that have completely gone right like and you're like oh yeah i remember when we were using that all the time or i remember sending this email and so it's it's just it's sort of like an archive of your life which maybe is a bit scary but also kind of interesting so i would say i don't know it's probably no one really wants this is back to like product management but i bet you i think it's probably if anyone has that google has like some 20 percent time they're looking to like you know fill something with i bet you like a top senders report um would be fairly easy for them to write and include it like include it as like some experimental feature so i don't know if anyone else really needs that but me but i really appreciate it so uh so check it out the person uh the link's in there and you can download the takeout and run the script so all right matt well uh if this is the first time you've been listening to software defined talk welcome this is episode 365 so if you want to see all the show notes just go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 365 and you'll see links to all the things that we talked about and a bunch of things we didn't and you can also join us in the slack the slack community is uh, super fun to be in it's uh we talk a lot about technology but as other things uh break out there's been a lot of sports talk today and other topics there's lots of people talking about other things so it's a fun place to kind of like and if you connect with the community so highly recommend the software defined talk slack and if you uh, ever want to see us do this live subscribe to our twitch or watch us on youtube and uh if you're still looking for the other social channels we're on everything else right matt we're on the instagram we're, we're, we're on the twitter we're everywhere so so with that we'll talk to you next time bye yeah i've got some first world problems so yeah we the place we we are now our new place um we uh it had been listed for like a month which mm-hmm. is a long time for here and right. they you know we went and saw it and there were like 10 people checking it out and it's like stunning stunning amazing views right and then uh but it was right outside our price range and so uh-huh. i said you know hey you know it's nice to see but uh it's not going to be for us and then uh and then they changed their listing to say no pets and we were like well okay that just cements it you know we weren't going to do it and then um you know we were like why is this place still listed so we said you know what we'll lowball them and tell them we can move in in uh in uh, a week you know because every every week that it's you know empty is you know lost money right yeah lost money and so they were like they called our bluff so we we lowballed them and offered them immediate move in and uh and they took it